Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. Would you stand with me? Tonight we light the center candle representing the coming of Christ to this earth. And as we begin to celebrate his coming, will you join me in this responsive reading? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. God's salvation is at hand. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people.
This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us.
Christ 
Church, we're glad you're worshiping with us this evening. Before you're seated, we want you to turn and greet one another, but we've got a little assignment for you, kind of a St. Louis thing. Find out as you're greeting people where they went to high school. Well, again, Merry Christmas. We're glad to see all of you here this evening. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors of Green Tree, and I graduated from, uh, from this school, Kirkwood High School, 
there you go. A little some some alumni in the in the crowd. Good. Uh, I graduated from here when the stage actually faced this, that way, and this was the smoking area. So that's how long ago it was that I was at. Uh, it was an outdoor smoking area at uh, at Kirkwood High School. But we're glad all of you are here. So every year I ask who came the furthest to uh, to be here tonight, and I give away a little gift card. And last year I got in trouble when I got home from church because I tried to, like, make the localized gift cards, you know, like something special, very, very special to St. Louis. So I gave away a gift card to Ted Drews, and my wife said, well, nobody eats ice cream in the wintertime. And then I gave away one to White Castle, which is the epitome of St. Louis, and she thought that was somewhat offensive. So I have, I have more mundane gift cards. So who, who's somebody in their family has come the, thinks you, maybe you've come the furthest? Anybody? We have any, any Sarah, nobody here from your family from Hawaii? France? We've got somebody here for, can anybody beat France? Where? where? France also? we got France here and France there? This, if you're for France, this is the place to be. Okay, come on up, if you don't mind. Come on, send somebody up. Fortunately, I, I got extras. So the coffee in France is probably better than Starbucks, but I hope you guys enjoy Enjoy a little Starbucks. Get somebody help them get come on up too. My goodness, I don't know how far it is to France. Somebody Google that and find out for them. Don't want a sermon. Find out how how far folks came. It had to be uh, several thousand miles. Well, I'm in no hurry. This gift card's going nowhere. So if you if you came that far, you can you can take your time coming down. That's for that's for sure. How about this? I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> Since you're just one, that'll get you two cups of coffee. They're going to have to share. They're going to have to share theirs, but you have, you have enough for two. So we are, we're glad all of you uh, are here this evening. Thank you for joining us. Just a quick reminder, uh, if you are a regular tender at uh, Green Tree, you normally worship with us, or if you'd like to begin worshiping with us, maybe you haven't worshiped with us before on Sunday mornings, this Sunday, in about four days, we'll be back here at the high school for one service at, uh, at 9 o'clock, and then the following Sunday, the first Sunday in January, we'll be back in North Middle School. And also, uh, also just want to remind you, if after the service you want to get your family up here and take a picture with our wonderful uh, Christmas tree from Nova Scotia, uh, please bring the family up and, and uh, have fun taking some pictures. So we have been talking about, for the last four Sundays in Advent, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and the, the words that Matthew gives us in the gospel that speak back to the prophetic word about the coming Messiah. Um, Lauren read one of those this evening that as the prophet had written, uh, the virgin would conceive and, and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So we've been looking at all of those passages where it says, uh, as the prophets have written, and we come tonight uh, to the last one of those in Matthew's gospel. We're going to be looking at Matthew 2, uh, verses 19 through 23. But this last prophecy that Matthew points out is, is the most subtle of all the prophecies. It is, in fact, a, a very indirect allusion to the coming Messiah, and it can be missed by the casual observer. It will be clear when you hear me say, as the prophets have, have spoken, you'll hear it in, in, the, in the passage, but we'll talk about why it's so nuanced and why that's important for us this evening. But hear the word of God, Matthew chapter 2, sorry, verse 19, and reading uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 23. 
But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, or the, or the region of Galilee. It'd be like the, the state of Galilee. We'd say the state of Missouri. It's kind of a, a region in the northern part of the country of Israel. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets, plural, what was spoken by the prophets, might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. The Nazarene of God's holy, perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this season of Christmas. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate with friends and with family. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to travel even as far away as from Europe to be together. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters, our friends here, family, spiritual family, Green Tree that are traveling, who are at other places tonight, maybe even en route, that you would keep them safe, that they would have a blessed Christmas with their relations. Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas. Father, we thank you that it's not just about tinsel and light. It's not just about well wishes to one another. But it's actually about the grace and the mercy of God who looks into our lives and sees our brokenness, sees us for who we are, and loves us just as we are, and calls us to trust in him for grace and for mercy. As a father would call a child, so you call us. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice tonight. We don't come here to hear man's voice. We hear man's opinions all the time. We have our own, and they're just that. Lord, we must know the truth because you say the truth will set us free. So forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and to learn this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this, this very last section of the Christmas story that Matthew records for us, this is so what would be fulfilled, what the prophets, what was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, if you do a word study in the Old Testament and you look for, or a phrase, you look for this phrase, he shall be called a Nazarene, and you're looking for what prophets wrote about that. Did Isaiah write about that, or did Amos write about that, or, or one of those weirder names, you know, back towards the very back, the little ones, Nahum, Habakkuk. You actually won't find anywhere in the Old Testament where that sentence or that phrase is written. You have to dig a little bit deeper. You have to look a little bit behind the scenes to understand where Matthew is going. He's speaking to something extraordinarily subtle, and yet he's speaking to something that is incredibly important. What does it mean to be called a Nazarene? That's what we want to try to get to this evening. Uh, we asked you to ask, if, uh, and if you're from out of town, we apologize. It's a really weird thing about St. Louis. But if you meet somebody from St. Louis that you haven't met before, Pretty quickly in the conversation, you're going to ask where they went to high school because it gives us some context for uh, who the person is. And when we share what school we went to, it tells them something about us. So if you're from out of town and I say I'm a graduate of Kirkwood High School, you're like, great. You know, is it going to snow tonight? I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much. But to those who are from St. Louis, it means something. It means jealousy for those people who live in Webster Groves. They don't... <laughs> I'm always so mean to my, my brothers and sisters of Webster. 
Uh, but they send me cards and letters and, and get back at me, so that's okay. But um, it, it says something. If you went to, if you went to Lindbergh or you went to, to Westminster or you went to, to Burroughs or you went to Vashon or Hazelwood East, when, when we talk about our high schools, those mean things. Uh, they give us some context for the person in their life. Just as more common terms, you might be called a conservative, you may be called a progressive. Maybe you're called a Republican, maybe you're called a Democrat, maybe you're from the heartland or maybe you're from the coast. All of those types of titles say something about the person. You might be called Tom, that's what I'm called. Our name has been dragged through the mud for years and years and years. Think about it for a minute. You could be a peeping Tom. Not the greatest compliment in the world. You could be an Uncle Tom. That's very racially charged. That's an awful thing to say about somebody. You could be a doubting Thomas. My dad used to call me Tim Tom Terrific. The only person that could find Tom and make something really good out of it was my dad. Names mean something. Being called a Nazarene meant something very, very specific. And I want to, uh, to dig into the subtlety this evening for just a few minutes with you. And then talk about why it's important for us to understand this. Two things that, that fundamentally it meant to be a Nazarene. The first one is that it just meant you were a commoner. It meant that you were nobody really all that important to anyone. That included the people in your own community. To the, the people who were from Nazareth, knowing that you were from Nazareth, that didn't really impress them all that much. When Jesus um, finishes his first sermon he ever preaches in his hometown, the response of the, of the congregation is, is this not Joseph's son? And they're saying that in a way that they're being, we know this kid. We, we, he grew up with our kids. He's nobody special. So Jesus replied to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So even in his hometown, Jesus, by being called a Nazarene, is like saying, ah, eh, just one of us. There's no way you could be somebody all that important, but not just to the local people, but also to the powers that be in Jesus' day and age, to the folks who held sway and influence over their, over their culture and over their nation. To hear that someone was a Nazarene was like, well, then they kind of don't really count. When, when the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were debating about whether or not Jesus was a, a prophet or not, they're in the middle of this conversation, and one of the leaders, a guy named Nicodemus, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing? Most of the men in the room were saying, Jesus, you know, should be scorned. He should be ridiculed. He, he's blaspheming. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Christ. And then the rest of the crowd answers, search, and they're talking about the Scriptures. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Nobody comes out of Nazareth. Nobody comes out of that region. They're just not that important. They're just a commoner. It's almost as if they said, Jesus, who do you think you are? You should know your place, Buster, and you should, you should stay right there. Don't think you're something you're not. But actually, to be called a Nazarene meant something even a little bit more significant in a negative way. It really meant that, that you were the despised one. It really meant that you had no good reputation, you were automatically looked down on. It wasn't an even playing field, and you're just kind of seen as nobody, but maybe you could work your way up. It actually was negative to be seen as somebody from Nazareth. You were from the backwater. You were uncultured. You were uneducated, even a troublemaker or a rabble rouser. When Jesus is calling his disciples, the original 12, to come and follow him, even one of his disciples, one of the men who would eventually lose his life 
instead of rejecting Jesus as his Lord and Savior, said, there can't be anything good in Nazareth, right? So the next day, Jesus found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The idea here is that not only was was Jesus a, a commoner, but Jesus was actually the despised one. So when Matthew says the prophets spoke of him, he shall be called a Nazarene, he isn't talking geographically. He's speaking ideologically. What he's saying is that Jesus will be the despised one. Jesus will be the rejected one. Jesus will be the one that is shunned by the very people he came to save. And so Matthew correctly perceives the message of the Old Testament prophets as they spoke about this in terms of the coming Messiah. And I'm just going to give you a handful of examples tonight. The first two are out of the Psalms in Psalm 22. David is writing and he's speaking prophetically about Jesus. And he says, but I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads And they say scornfully, he trusts the Lord, he let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. In other words, God will have nothing to do with this man. He's he's a man of such ill repute. And then later on in Psalm 69, for it is for your sake that I have borne the reproach, that dishonor that has covered my face. I become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's sons, even in my own family. I'm despised and rejected. As you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus' brothers, even his mother at one point, didn't believe in his lordship. And then the prophet Isaiah speaks directly to these things. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to the one deeply despised and abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you, Isaiah is promising that at one day, After it's all said and done, the one who is deeply despised will end up being the king and the Lord, but he must first go through this journey of being ridiculed by his fellow man. And then lastly, and maybe most famously, out of Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him like a plant, young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. To say that Jesus is a Nazarene is to say that he is the one that people automatically turn their backs on and reject. The question isn't whether or not Matthew correctly understands the Old Testament scriptures. The question is, do you and I? The question is, do we understand what Matthew is saying about Jesus Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow one who is despised. Because you see, not much has changed over the last 2,000 plus years. As long as Jesus behaves himself, as long as he stays in those categories where we like to keep him conveniently as a wise and sagely teacher, as, as one who was a role for others, one who is an example of what it meant to exercise, exercise nonviolent protest. It's, everything's okay. As long as we can say Jesus had some wise and winsome things to say and leave it at that, we're good. But the moment that we, Jesus says, I am king and I am Lord, 
Should he be so presumptuous to claim the throne of your life and mine, we will use all means at our disposal to discredit him. You don't have to look very far, friends. You don't have to study all that much to hear the ridicule of the one who calls himself Savior and Lord. Foolish old wives' tales. You can't really believe those things like miracles happened in the gospel. That's utter nonsense. Why would you be so anti-intellectual as to believe that a, that a rabbi 2,000 years ago who died on a cross was actually the Savior and the hope of mankind? And why is it that you Christians are so intolerant? Why do you get so wrapped up in sin? Why can't you just let everyone be? Why is Jesus so uncompromising? And yet here he stands, unbending and unyielding, once a babe in a manger, now the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his handle wrote, he shall reign forever and ever. But his reign will be with uncompromising love and grace for all who believe in him. Forgiveness and mercy and new life forever is what he promises with him. Because you see, Jesus actually knows the truth much better than we. He not only is the epitome of the truth, he is not only the truth personifies, but he understands your condition and my condition much better than we do ourselves. You see, what he understands is that he is not the despicable one. There was no sin found in him. He never did anything to abuse anyone, to hurt anyone. All he did was, was to honor and glorify his father and love his fellow man unconditionally to the point that he gave his life on a cross for us. He is not the despicable one we are. When we look in the mirror, what do we see looking back? Well, if you're going to be at all honest with yourself and you're not going to sugarcoat it and you're going to speak the truth even perhaps only to yourself when no one else is listening or looking, you know the truth. We are the ones who are the liars. We are the ones who are full of greed and envy and hatred. We are the bigots. We are the ones who are filled with malice towards one another, lying and gossiping tongues filled with immorality. I've never met a person on this planet who, who has tried to defend the position of being perfect all of their lives. It would be fool's errand to do so. It doesn't take very long to understand that whether or not there's a God in heaven or not, I have failed and you have failed miserably. And if there is a God in heaven to whom we are answerable, we have a problem. And yet Jesus understood not only that we were the despicable ones, but that he would love those who were despicable. That he would give his unconditional mercy for us. That babe in a manger grew up to be the Savior of the world. And Jesus knows some things. He knows if he is not steadfast in his grace, we will perish. But he knows that when we trust in him, when we simply surrender ourselves to him, he gives us new life, and not only new life, but he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new set of emotions that want to join with him in sharing his kingdom of grace and love and mercy with others. He knows that his power and grace turns us from our despicable ways to join him in building his new kingdom. He knows that it's not despicable Jesus. It's despicable humanity. But he's come to change our hearts. He's come to change all that.
Oh no, sorry, that, that book was accidentally destroyed maliciously. Tonight, we are going to read a new book. This one is called One Big Unicorn by who wrote this? Oh, me! I wrote it. Oh, look, it's a puppet book. Here, watch this. That's the horn. <laughs> <laughs> Not to pat myself on the back, but yes, it probably will be. Here we go. One big unicorn, strong and free, thought he was happy as he could be. Then three little kittens came around and turned his whole life upside down. Hey, that one looks like me. No, what are you talking about? These are kittens. Any relation to persons living or dead is completely coincidental. They made him laugh. Oh, ho! They made him cry. Ooh. He never should have said goodbye. And now he knows he could never part from those three little kittens that changed his heart. The end. Okay, all right. Good night.
you stand with us?
Thank you for worshiping with us this evening. Uh, it's been quite a year at Green Tree Community Church. Who knows what 2014 will hold? Uh, but for me, it continues to be an honor and a privilege to, uh, to serve as a pastor here at Green Tree. And both Cindy and I and our family want to wish all of you uh, a very Merry Christmas. And now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in his name. Now may the grace and the mercy and the peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that dwells on and abides in despicable people because that's who God is. He loves us unconditionally. To Him be glory and majesty until the day we see Him face to face. Amen. The Lord bless you. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.